You're listening to the Million Dollar Sellers Podcast with your host, Nick Shuquette. Today's show features another amazing entrepreneur who has found success online. Now, let's learn what it takes to be a million dollar seller. All right. What is up, everyone? Welcome to the MDS Podcast. I'm your host, Nick Shuquette. Today, we've got a really great guest on the show, longtime MDS member, and he has a killer name, Max Emiliano. <laughs> Welcome to the show, Max. How you Thank doing you, today, man. man? Thank you. Stoked to be here. Cool, man. Well, I'm, I'm really glad to have you on here. Uh, you know, definitely consider you a good friend, man. And I know MDS, you know, is, is one of the reasons we came together in addition to just being involved in e-commerce and selling on Amazon. Uh, I've had the pleasure of kicking it with you in person a couple times and, and we've always really enjoyed it. I think we even got a workout in on a beach in Costa Rica. That was pretty fun, man. Um, so we're real excited to bring you on the show today and, and get, and let the audience get to know you a little better. Um, and why don't you just kind of start off telling us, you know, how did you get into this crazy world of, of selling products on Amazon? Yeah. I mean, I'll try to keep it short, but basically I've, I've always had a fascination for being able to buy things online and kind of being able to make money online from your computer. And so I grew up in South America. I grew up in Paraguay. And um, in back in the day, you know, I was in high school, um, couldn't really get things online there. Online shopping was kind of becoming, you know, a thing, um, but you couldn't get anything over there, right? And so, um, but I had the itch. I would check out all these deal sites and things like that. And I'd be like, oh man, that's so cool. You know, I could look at how, cheap you can get things by stacking coupons and and all this kind of stuff. And so in 2009 I got the opportunity to go to the to the US to to live and study um and so one of the very first things that I did was when I opened up a bank account here in the US was I bought something online. I still remember it. It was some pajamas and just the whole experience was really cool. So fast forward to um college days uh, about senior year or so, um, I started, you know, researching on how could I make money online and found out about, you know, being able to resell some textbooks. And so, uh, I would go around campus and kind of scanning some, some textbooks some barcodes and, and resell them. Um, and then I found out about, you know, retail arbitrage. And so that's kind of what really, um, you know, took me down this, this rabbit hole to, uh, to just my journey on Amazon. So yeah, that was around 2013, 2014 or so. And, uh, I don't know how far you want me to go into it, but that was, that was kind of the beginning of it. Okay, cool. So yeah, man, you know, I, I definitely, uh, can relate to that, got involved, uh, you know, through arbitrage in the beginning myself. Um, what, what did that kind of look like for you in terms of growth? Like, where did you start and how did you begin to scale the retail arbitrage side of things? Yeah. So, um, so it was 2014, right. I was still, um, I was graduating that year from college, I believe. And so what I would do is I would just go down to, you know, Marshall's and some of these discount stores and buy 
toys and books and, 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 um, and, and just started really, really small. But what really was, um, kind of a, an inflection point that made, made a big difference was my roommate's girlfriend found out that I was doing it or she saw it, you know, around the house, I was getting boxes in and out. Um, and she said, Oh, I've got a buddy in Texas that seems to be doing exactly what you're doing. And, uh, and he's doing really well, apparently. And I, I didn't think much of it at the time, because I didn't think someone was doing exactly what I was doing, right? It was, you couldn't find much information about it online. So I connected with this guy, and he had been doing it for about eight to 10 months, uh, uh, like more than I was, and he was doing it full time. And that was kind of my aha moment of, okay, if this guy can do it, I can definitely do it. And so that's when I made the decision that I was going to pursue that full time after um, after I graduated college. And at the time, uh, Garland, who's been my business partner for forever, he was my roommate and he had a couple other job opportunities. But um, I decided to partner with him. And that's kind of what what got us started 100 percent, you know, after college. Okay, cool. So you were you were in college. What were you going to college for? Uh, international business. International business. Cool. And so, you know, what did your what did your parents think of this plan to get out of college and and start this reselling business? You know, my mom's uh, been an entrepreneur her whole life, so she she didn't think much of it. Um, I don't know if there was any opposition from Garland's parents either. Um, we did get, uh, I think it was $3,000 each uh, from both our parents. And that was for for everything, right? For living, survival, start your business, good luck. Um, and so so that was it. But I think I think they were they were okay with it. I don't remember any uh, opposition to it. Okay. So what kind of like struggles did you guys face as you first entered the the business together and really like started working on scaling, uh, you know, the amount of products you were purchasing, the stores you were visiting and things like that? Yeah. I mean, I mean, all sorts of stuff, right? You've just running a business in general, right? You're just learning as you go. I mean, when we, when I moved down there, uh, I, I moved from Oklahoma to Florida to start the business. Okay. And it's funny when I got to Florida, I was looking for um, a place where we would live, right? A rental. And it was really important for me to have to make sure that the house had a two car garage so that we could run the business out of there. Um, but anywhere or everywhere that I looked to try to try to apply for a house. Um, they would ask me, you know, what's, you know, income history and what's going to be your job. And, and so then I realized that I had to convince these people that, hey, I'm starting a business and I promise I'll pay rent on time. And so that proved out to be a little bit challenging. But um, after about a month or so of search, uh, found the house, found the lady that that gave us a chance. And to this day, I still stay in touch with her. So it's pretty cool. Um, but then as far as other struggles, you know, retail arbitrage has its own struggles of its kind. You know, we quickly outgrew our space and, uh, you know, had to figure out how to hire employees. I mean, you name it. Um, 
Amazon has its own struggles, as, as you're well aware, uh, that they can shut you down at any moment. You know, we've been suspended multiple, multiple times already. So uh, not to scare anybody, but yeah. pretty much we've, <laughs> we've seen it all. Yeah. You know, one of my favorite things about retail arbitrage specifically is, is the low barrier of entry, especially back then. You know, it's a little more difficult now, especially if you want to get into selling some of these products that can really lead to a successful business. But back then, man, like without retail arbitrage, you know, someone like me would have not been able to jump in to private label uh, where a lot of us end up, right? As we kind of evolve with this e-commerce world, especially on, on Amazon, um, you know, what, what's kind of your take on that as far as, you know, retail arbitrage allowing you to get into this space and not only that, but, you know, it sounds like you mentioned two people in your journey that were kind of pivotal, pivotal in helping you become successful, the guy in Texas and this woman who, you know, took a shot on a young kid and, and let him move into their house. Yeah, um, for sure. I mean, there's, there's been, there's been a lot of other people to thank, not them, not just them too. Um, but as far as the the journey with from retail arbitrage over to private label, um, you know, we're forever grateful for for being able to start small, right? You don't, you didn't need much money, you didn't need much of anything to get started. Even if you aren't necessarily making any money at first, it's good just to see the transaction and in the process of okay, I bought this at this store. And then I packaged it up, I sent it, Amazon received it, and then I sold it, I got paid. That's awesome. You know, how can I do that again and again yeah. and again and again? Um, so it's a pretty cool feeling, right? And, and anybody can get started. And, and so that was really, really cool. But um, the challenges that that retail arbitrage has, you know, you're you're well aware of it as well as just it's it's hard to scale, right? Um you're only as good as your last deal and um, you're just constantly having to, to hustle. Right. And so that with a lot of other things made us transition over to private label. Do you remember the first product you guys sold? Um, Which store you went to or. Well, with college, I would say, I would say it was, um, it was at Marshall's and it was like a, it was either Marshall's or Ross, but it was, I remember it was like a Toy Story art kit. And then it was a, um, like a Marvel walkie talkie and, uh, another, I think Toy Story plush. I remember those were the first three. So. Yeah. When I was doing arbitrage, like the business was constantly blowing my mind, just like, you know, the products we were selling. And, you know, even if I back up a little bit, I started out on eBay and like that was even more of like a unique, interesting world, you know, where I, the the main thing that was limiting me kind of becoming successful was wondering why these people are buying these products from me and like trying to be like, oh, no, toy, toy store story kit. Like who the heck wants that thing? You know, like I didn't have kids that age or anything like that. So I really had to remove my personal opinion like out of the business because it just kept getting in the way. Are there any products that like stick out to you that you were surprised that sold or or one that really kind of just took your business to the next level? 
Um, as far as uh, products that sold, I mean, if we're talking, you know, if we're still on the retail arbitrage side of things, anything discontinued, that that was the discontinued game is what really blew my mind, right? Uh, anything health and beauty or, you know, most mostly health and beauty is where you'll see like a lot of outrageous prices being paid for things that are no longer found, right? So um, things like um, even floss, right? Uh, uh, floss for your teeth. Uh, particular flavor of it when it gets discontinued starts selling for like 10x right 15x 20x what it used to um the bounce bounce dryer bars were really good for a while i i think if you search on amazon right now for bounce dryer bars they might still be on there for probably 200 or 400 dollars or something for just dryer bars (laughs) right so so those kind of things were always fun, but but kind of crazy to see that that people are so attached to, to products like that. Yeah, it's definitely interesting to see the stuff that people just, you know, they reorder, they get used to using that and they just kind of get comfortable and they just keep ordering it, man. Like the business still blows my mind, honestly. Like I still see stuff happen. You know, of course, we have all these struggles and you know, we're frustrated about how Amazon treats us sometimes, but I still have things happen where I'm just like, oh my God, like, I can't believe, you know, I sold that many units of this product or, you know, I threw this listing up just, you know, on a whim and it's selling. And uh, it's just so crazy, man, this, this world of e-commerce, it still seems kind of untapped in certain ways, even for guys like us who have been at it, you know, for five plus years. Um, You know, what? let's talk a little more about kind of your evolution in the business and where your journey has taken you. You know, I know you've done things like help other people get started with their businesses, right? I know you were really into that for a little bit. And I think you've done some brand management as well. And like you mentioned, now you're in private labels. So can you kind of dig into that journey for us a little bit? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, we've we've pretty much done, as far as Amazon, we've almost done it all. Um, you know, wholesale and, and retail arbitrage and private label and some brand management. Um, so, you know, we were, we started retail arbitrage. We were scaling that operation quite a bit. You know, we got to, eight figures a year and we had multiple employees and warehouses and things like that. Um, But in the back of my mind, especially, especially once we joined the MDS, right. And started um, being surrounded by people that were strictly private label, seeing people sell their businesses for multiple seven figures, seven, eight figures after just a couple years of being in business, we realized that, no matter how big we got, we never had a sellable business. Um, you know, there's been some wholesale businesses that have gotten pretty big and that, that have sold, but it's definitely uh, the exception to the rule. So, um, so going through that journey and realizing that um, we we started inching our way towards that, um, and then. And then we also quickly realized that once we started seeing some success on the private label side, we said that, you know, this requires, you know, 100% of our focus if we really want to hit it out of the park. And so um, almost from one day to the other, 
with also when COVID kind of hit, it gave us, it was kind of the perfect storm for us to, to pull the plug on things and, and, and strictly move over to private label. Um, we've also, like you said, done some teaching um, and, and we were doing some coaching and it was great. It was super rewarding. It was amazing. Um, all the while, our, we ourselves were making the shift over to private label, yet, yet we were in charge of you know, teaching on retail arbitrage and wholesale. And so, so it didn't feel right, uh, you know, being, having to teach something that we're moving away from. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so we parted from that and, and have made, you know, private label our 100% focus and, and it's, it's been amazing. It's been a fun journey for sure. And, uh, there's, there's quite a bit more to go. So, so we're excited for the future as well. Yeah, I can relate to a lot of that. And I always feel like you and Garland, like you guys have always been one step ahead of me. And I've, I've kind of watched you guys and, and honestly kind of followed in your footsteps um, because, you know, I also saw the shift in, uh, I also wanted to shift my business towards having that sellable asset as well. And you guys definitely took the leap before me. Um, but COVID also forced me to pivot like a bunch of different ways. And it's funny because I pivoted to a bunch of different things and now I have all this, this different stuff going on and it's all kind of going really well. So I'm not willing to let go of it really, but I've just hired more team members and kind of empowered people to take control in certain aspects of the business and, you know, reward them properly. And that's actually an idea that you and Garland really helped me come to terms with the idea of, you know, not trying to do it all on my own and uh, empowering other people and rewarding them properly. So they're really motivated to uh, do what they need to do to keep these businesses growing. Um, How are you guys leveraging those skills that you have for your private label business? For sure. First of all, I appreciate you saying that. Um, It's really encouraging to hear that. But Um, You know, I think that every entrepreneur goes through that, you know, and especially every person that kind of bootstraps things and starts, you know, from the ground up, um, you know, realizing that there's people out there that can do something better than you could ever do it. Um, If the answer is yes to whatever it is that you're doing right now, then you should look for that person especially if whatever it is that you're doing, whatever uh, model that you're in, if you've proven that it's successful and that it can work, right? Um, we, we got a taste of success. And so therefore, you know, how can I, you know, pour gasoline on this fire and, and really leverage this? And it's, you know, at some point you have to look to people, right? And, and make a bet on those people. So um, once you get a taste of a person doing something way better than you thought they could do it, but also that you thought that you could do yourself, then I think it completely changes your mindset on, um, on t- you know, tackling things and being able to really move to that next level of truly being a business owner and, and steering the, the ship, you know, getting, getting your hands dirty whenever you need to. Um, but, you know, truly building that, that system and leading and, and being a visionary and empowering people 
And, and yes, they will make mistakes, but at the end of the day, you need people to to grow, especially if you're if you're trying to grow significantly, right? Um, so so yeah, I would say once you get a taste of it, it it's hard to not look for for the truly the A plus people um, to take on things, take things from your plate. So yeah, I definitely agree, man. It's uh that's another thing that kind of blows my mind, which isn't unique just to our business, but when you find the right people and you work with the right people and you, you know, network with like guys in MDS, you just realize that like, you know, the only thing limiting yourself is you. And, uh, you know, that these people just really help us reach for our highest potential. And it's great to be in a position where you can bring people into that world. Uh, along with you and really help them uh, reach their potential as well. I know I sometimes seem to forget like just how great of a business we have, not just in terms of performance, but, you know, being able to work online and grow the business so much um, and, you know, still really remove ourselves. It's almost like the more we take ourselves out of it, the better it does um, in, in a lot of ways. And that's a skill, you know, I'm still trying to learn and I have to stop myself, you know, almost daily. Like, you know, why am I doing this? You know, like, why am I doing this task? Like, this shouldn't be me. And then how can I empower my team to really uh, develop the skills they need to to take their position to the next level? And it's always great when you see people go to that next level. Um, you know, it's personally rewarding, it's good for the business and it's just good for them. Like you can see how excited they get about it. And it's just so great to be in a position where we can do stuff like that. For sure. Uh, plus, plus if you're, you know, you're the captain of the ship, so you get to, you get to craft the environment that you work in and live in every day. Right. If you, if you want to make a business to where, you're hanging out at the beach all the time and, and not being involved with it. You, you surely you can, but you know, we try to really uh, make culture a, a big part of our business because uh, if you're going to be on this journey for, I don't know, however many years, you might as well enjoy it and do it with people that, that you want, you know, you want to be around. And so I, I just got back from, from a two week break and vacation. And I was telling the team that like, I was so grateful to be back because I truly enjoy the process. You know, I truly enjoy doing life with, uh, with the people that we've brought on and, and our team's amazing. So might as well yeah. have fun doing it, you know? That's great, man. That's, uh, you know, I think every person in the world wants to be in that position where they really truly enjoy what they're doing. Um, and it reminds me of a conversation that you and I had a while back we were talking about money and I think I brought up the idea that people say like money is the root of all evil. And I was, I disagree with that. Like I still do. And you made a comment that always stuck with me that, uh, you know, money really, I forget exactly what you said, but you said something along the lines of a, allows you to really be who you are. Like it maximizes, you know, a lot of qualities about you. It can either, highlight the good ones, you know, or it can highlight the bad ones, but it really boils down to who you are. And, you know, you've mentioned like being a visionary and 
how you really enjoy the position that you're in. Uh, so really like, you know, how do you tie your personal identity to your business and how does that kind of, how do you balance that? Um, I mean, I, identity is a whole, whole different subject for me. Uh, I think, I think as far as personal identity, you know, I, I try to, you know, I get that from, from God, you know, I'm a, I'm a Christian, I'm a, I'm a man of faith and, you know, I believe, you know, that the, the word of God is true. And, and, and so a lot of, you know, what I believe about myself comes from that place. Right. And so, um, so, so I would say, you know, most of my identity comes from my faith. Um, but you know, it's hard to not let, um, things like success and, you know, while you're building a business and being an entrepreneur and all those things, they, they are a really big part of your life. Right. So it's, it's hard to not let that also be part of your, um, of your identity. Um, but I would say that those, those things can be gone, uh, tomorrow. Right. Um, you know, God forbid I get in an accident, I can't be an entrepreneur anymore, you know. Um, but to me, that's a variable, right? And so I try not as much as I can to not tie my identity to things that can change. Um, but I tie it to my faith that's kind of, uh, it's a steady, it's a rock, and it's something that's never going to change, right? Um but but it is hard, right? It it is a struggle because it is a huge part of your business. And and when things don't go the way you want, or when things get removed, you know, do, do you feel like a part of you? You know, it's missing and and things like that. So so it is it is a struggle as well. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna you know pretend to not uh, to not have my identity tied into into what I'm doing. Also, right. Do you think your your success in business has kind of allowed you to have more more time and more space to focus on your faith, to focus on you know your personal relationships and other areas of of interest in your own life? Um, I think so. I it's hard to say because I've never not had it right. I've yeah. always been a business owner, so I I haven't been stuck in this like nine to five to say, to really have something to compare it to. Um, but I would say it does offer, you know, a lot of freedom um, to be able to focus on other things. But, but I will say this, like, if you, if you really think that, say, your faith or your personal relationships or, or any of those things are important in your life, um, then you'll make sure to get it done before anything else, right? You'll still make time. And so I think it's really about um, setting up what is what is priority in your life, what comes first above everything, uh, and then acting accordingly. You know, things still get mixed up here and there. Um, but I think that you can always reflect on, okay, what's really important in my life and, and, and kind of recalibrate yourself, you know, when things start getting out of order, um, at least you have a conceptual model that you believe in, uh, on, you know, what's first, no matter what. And, you know, self-awareness is huge. Reflection on, on this kind of stuff is huge to make sure you're still aligned to what you set out to, to accomplish or to be like. 
Man, that's such a, I feel like that's such a unique position that, that you're in, in your life where, you know, you got into this business and it's become successful and you haven't had to live that other side where, you know, like, I mean, I know I did, I worked a lot of jobs where I just hated it, man. And, and like, that's why I struggled with school so much because you know, they, all the jobs like that I saw, I was like, I, I don't want to do any of that. You know, like I, I don't want to work nine to five. I don't want to have to ask for my birthday off, you know, like not even that I'm going to take my birth. Like I don't even really take my birthday off now, but you know, cause I enjoy what I'm doing, but the idea of having to request permission to be off of work on my birthday or visit my family on Christmas, like that was depressing uh, for me. And that really spun me down a pretty bad rabbit hole. That's, you know, a whole nother story. Uh, but do you think some of that played into this, uh, your attraction to being a business owner? Like what, what led you to go down that path? Yeah. So, so a couple of things I will say, my wife, uh, likes to remind me sometimes that I like, oh, I, I wish you had a job so you would know what I'm talking about. You know, and, and, like, never got a taste of it. And and uh, I, my mom has also told me things like that. Right. Um, and, and I think there is a benefit, obviously, because you go through stuff that you say, I never want to do this or I want to make sure that if I ever run my company, I don't run it this way. Right. So there there is a lot of value in that, too. Um but I will say, like, once I once I started, you know, my mom was an entrepreneur growing up. Um, Garland's dad owns a construction company also. Um, and then when I when I started to see some success and um, started to see that, hey, this might work out. I kind of told myself, like, I'll make sure I never have a job, you know, yeah. <laughs> just because it sounds cool. And uh, um, so so I. I mean, at this point, I highly doubt I will ever have a job. Um, so, so it's cool that 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 has kind of kept, um, you know, kept its word. Uh, but I will say that it did it did probably come with a lot of uh, downfall because I didn't know when it came to hiring employees. Right? I had yeah. no idea. I mean, just a lot of things, you know, you learn along the way, what to do, what not to do. And, and I didn't really have much to go off of. So, so it's not like it was always, uh, you know, amazing and easy. So, yeah. Yeah. So what are a couple of things that kept you focused when you were going through the tough times uh, to keep pushing forward? Yeah, for me, for me, a lot of it has been knowing that we're in an industry that is booming, knowing that there have been other people that have been able to make it work. Um, seeing other people's success, I think, has been really instrumental for for Garland and I. You know, we're we're really competitive. We used to be, um, you know, collegiate athletes, and uh, we've just always had this competitiveness about us, and and we just have a lot of fun uh, being that way. And so it's always been about like, oh, look at that person. Look at what they did. Well, yeah. surely we can do it. Surely we can figure it out. You know, if they can do it, we can do it. Um, and so that kind of mentality has kind of, uh, I think, kept us on our toes because there's always in this space, you know, there's always bigger fish. Right. And uh, 
you know, they say comparisons aren't aren't the best thing, but it can it can definitely motivate you for for more, right? And to keep pushing. And so Yeah. Yeah, yeah man. I I can relate to that so hard. I remember being in like Facebook groups back in the day and people posting their screenshots of their sales. And so many people would get pissed off about it. You know, why are you sharing that? It's unrealistic. I saw that and I'm like, oh, if he did it, I can do it. You know, so every time I saw someone post something like that, it just got me so excited. Um, and, you know, that's why back in the day, like I would share some screen, some screenshots and stuff as well, because I, I wanted to motivate people. Uh, but then, of course, you know, for every one person you motivate, you get 10 people who are like disgusted with you as, as a human being. Uh, did you ever deal with any of that at all? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, I obviously went through that as well. At the beginning, we joined pretty much every Facebook group we could find. That was our source of, you know, uh, information. There wasn't, you know, any of the courses that you see nowadays. It wasn't mainstream. So so that's what's cool. It's always been a, um, not in every Facebook group, but there's always been a camaraderie feel of like, hey, us against Amazon in the sense yeah. of like, we're all in this together. We're all figuring it out. You know, and again, that's not every Facebook group. Um, but yeah, we went through all that. Luckily, uh, even on the retail arbitrage side of things, when we used to be in, in, you know, the reselling business, we quickly, well, I wouldn't say quickly, but we were able to build a solid network of people that, that we trust and they're lifelong friends. And, and once we had that, it was like, we didn't need to go elsewhere for any other right. Facebook group or any of that stuff. Um, so I would say that's, that's huge. And that's important. That's the same case uh, now with, with MDS, right? We, we have an amazing community. I don't, I don't need to look elsewhere for, especially if we're talking for Amazon stuff. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And it's slowly growing to like just about anything else, right? They've got all these subgroups now and the investment group is popping off like crazy. And we've got the Shopify group, uh, that's that we're really giving a lot of uh, love to right now. And I'm real excited to see where these things grow because I, gr I agree with you, man. Like when I joined MDS, it was just another Facebook group, right? But I quickly realized like, holy crap, like this is like next level people. And, you know, then I go to my first event and I'm like, oh, wow, like everyone's kind of just like me. Like it just, it was this different vibe that I got from the people in this group and I continue to get it from this day. And it's such a blessing to be so involved with the group now. Um, what are some of your other favorite things about the MDS group that you've gotten out of it? Um, I would say just, you know, we've gotten lifelong friends. We've gotten some partnerships out of that. Um, but it's just cool to know that there's people just like you rowing in the same direction, right? Going for yeah. the same goal. It's a safe place for for you to be able to share your success, right? That's not that's not something you can do uh everywhere, right? right. You can't you can't just brag about I don't know, your sales or your profits or or any of that stuff to maybe people that can't relate. So it's so it's been really cool to to have um those group of people that you know are are similar to you, they're rowing in the same direction, 
they're just as ambitious and you get to learn from them too, right? They, they have different backgrounds, different uh, levels of expertise, different opportunities, right? Outside of Amazon. Um, that's been cool. So, so yeah, a lot of things. Awesome, man. So are you the, are you the visionary or the integrator between you and Garland? <laughs> yeah. So actually with, with the private label, we have a, we have a third partner. And so that's, that's got a, a whole nother story of its own. Uh, but he's amazing. He's incredible. Uh, I tell him every day. Um, so amongst the three of us, you know, running through EOS that you're mentioning that, that has a visionary and an integrator, we, we actually couldn't really clearly define things. Um, but if I had to, I always joke that, you know, Garland is definitely the visionary. Okay. Um, just, just cause he's, yeah, he's just, you know, more visionary, more big picture, more, he's always very optimistic. Um, and I was stuck in a role previously when it was only the two of us as integrator, cause okay. I just wasn't as visionary as him, you know, okay. but I really wasn't a, a good integrator anyways. Um, until, you know, our third partner, Shane came along and, uh, and that's when I realized like, whoa, that's what, that's what a solid integrator looks like. Uh, so, so I would still say Garland's a visionary, you know, uh, Shane is the integrator and I'm, I'm usually a fly on the wall or, okay. you know, <laughs> Just try to not get in the way and, and try to make myself useful wherever I can. It's funny, man. We had the the lady that came on to do the EOS workshop. And, you know, I always thought I was like unique because I had these big grand visions and stuff like this. And I was super optimistic. And then she hit me with the statistic that, oh, for every uh, one integrator, there's 10 visionaries. And I was like, damn it. I guess I'm not that special. Um, after all, but it's like, you're right, man. Like, and she's right. Like the integrators are the ones that the visionaries need because we will gravitate to like any shiny red apple. And I've always has, I always have to get myself in check. And honestly, I don't, I I've like just figured that out like this year, to be honest. Um, that's, that's where I, I think, I think it's been what's been really helpful for us with that, because I agree, I think every entrepreneur struggles with that. Right. And for us, it's been about setting really big goals. All right. Where it's like, Whoa, this is kind of scary. Um, And then working backwards from that on how you plan on executing and then just having some accountability. Right. That's, that's the beauty of having uh, some, some business partners is that, the moment one of us starts to drift on like, Hey, what do you guys think about this? You know, um, you know, the other two kind of snap, snap the other one back, uh, into direction and, and, and flow and saying, no, this is too big. Like what we're doing is working. Let's just focus. And so, um, that's, that's just such a huge, uh, part of, of the journey is being able to focus when you've got something that works, you should be putting like, you know, 90% of your focus into that and, and maybe just 10% on, on some new opportunities and things like that. But I would say 90 to 95% of it should be on getting whatever it is you set out to do done, you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, man. I, I totally agree with you. Uh, you know, as we start to wrap up here, you mentioned that you guys like to set 
big goals. And I think that's a great idea. Like, you know, from, for me, that really hit home because that would keep me excited as someone who identifies as that visionary. You know, if I have that big goal, like, Hey, I'm going to sell this business for a hundred million dollars one day. Uh, like that gets, I could, I can wake up and get excited about that for a while. Uh, so what, what is one of the big goals that you guys are working on? Yeah. So, um, so it, I mean, it, it was a journey kind of getting to, to this goal. You know, we, we, we kind of played with a bunch of different ideas and then realized like, no, we just need to put our head down and, and go in this space. Right. And so we wanted to 10 X where we were at by December of 2022. Um, and, and only then reevaluate on what's the next step. Right. But anybody that comes into the organization or anything like that, everything's focused towards that goal to, to 10 X by by December of 2022, and uh, we're calling it Apollo 22. That's nice. our that's our mission, and it's kind of um, it's everywhere. We probably need to do a better job of of putting it everywhere. You know, getting T-shirts and things like that, having fun with it. Yeah. Um, but we're we're calling it that because we're going to the moon, and uh, and yeah. So, what really does 10x look like for you guys? What 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 number are you guys going after? Yeah, so by December, the month of December of 2022, we want to be at $100 million in EBITDA run rate. So Nice. Um, yeah, it's pretty aggressive, um, but, you know, we, we figured if we, if we even get close to that, it'll be, uh, it'll be pretty good. So, well, I figure if you guys hit that, like I said, I'm always a little bit behind you. So I don't mind being one to two years <laughs> behind that goal. <laughs> For sure. But, well, but makes... you got to think about this. You got to think about this. We're also, it's also three owners, right? Yeah. <laughs> we, uh, we kind of feed off each other, but we also got to split the pie three ways. So, yeah. Well, it's great that you guys have that team together and it seems to really be working for you guys. And um, I don't think I've met Shane in person yet, but I have had a couple conversations with him and seems like a great guy. Definitely very smart. And I'm excited to watch you guys hit hit that goal. I know you're going to do it. Um, and just super stoked to have met you guys through this community and, and even been able to be this close to something that big. Uh, is just, just amazing, man. Um, thank you so much for coming on, Max. It's always a pleasure to sit down and chat with you. Uh, looking forward to kicking it with you guys in person again soon, hopefully. Um, and man, just, just thank you, Max. I really appreciate your time. Thanks for coming on. For sure. Thank you guys. It was a blast. Appreciate it. Are you a million dollar seller looking to network with like-minded entrepreneurs? Apply for membership now at milliondollarsellers.com. Leave us a review and subscribe now so you don't miss out on next week's episode.